Coco may have won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, but we would have also voted for The Breadwinner, which is what we're talking about today. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and crying your heart out to a Netflix film late at night. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Today, we're talking about The Breadwinner. Currently available, at time of recording, on Netflix, which is great, because it really was just in theaters, honestly. It wasn't It wasn't in every theater either. You know, you had to get to that one special theater that was showing it. And then it wasn't showing it. It was an indie movie, yes. And I remember <laughs> watching it and immediately thinking like, wow, that's such a great movie. I'm so sad it's up against Coco for the Academy Award. I know, I know. Like, I want you to win, Breadwinner. You deserve to win in many other years. But Coco deserves to win, too. Uh, There should have been two. There should have been an independent and mainstream. And then that gets funky, though. Yeah, then you have to do that for, like, best picture. Best independent film. We'll have a new category. Best... Animated drama movie category not for kids. I don't know this one. No, no, it wasn't for kids. Well, well, it depends. Okay, let's let's talk about this real quick. Yeah. So, um, Cartoon Saloon made this film, The Breadwinner, based on a novel, uh, a series of novels by Deborah Ellis, uh, a Canadian author. And this is, if you've listened to the podcast launch from John August, uh, this term makes sense, but it is uh, middle grade fiction. <laughs> so, um, so for those of us who haven't listened to John August's new podcast, <laughs> would you Claire to care if Claire, it's hard care work. to clarify, care to clarify. So middle grade fiction is really for middle schoolers. It's it's for the folks who are younger than young adults. So um, if you think about it, the most famous middle grade fiction in the world is the Harry Potter series. Mm. And then um, you move up to young adult and you get things like Hunger Games. So it's younger than hunger games and <laughs> older than like charlotte's webish kind of so it's middle grade so right around middle school 9 10 11 12 right in there okay it, i'm taking it so that's who that's who the book was marketed to um is it's solidly middle grade fiction and if you search for breadwinner videos you'll find a lot of kids doing book report videos about the books, the breadwinners. And it's a series of, I believe it's four novels. Um, the breadwinner, which was the first one. Um, Parvana's journey, which is the second one. 
Mud City, and my name is Parvana. So four books in that series. Okay. And what what I found a little bit interesting is the Breadwinner came out in two thousand one, and it's two thousand eighteen. Well, two thousand seventeen when the film came out originally, and it took them that long to turn this into a film. Well, I mean, it's a... I, I can't picture a world in 2001, 2002, 2003, which would be... <laughs> Open towards showing a film about the Taliban. <laughs> yeah, a film about the Taliban as an animated movie, um, and that had a lot of like the the mysterious like evil thing happening in the background that's threatening all the main characters is like the american invasion of afghanistan <laughs> so tricky to do in the early 2000s and have someone produce that i think we're far enough away now that it's a little bit easier to get people on board with telling the story and we just have like you know uh, a larger diverse culture of uh, animation studios. In fact, have you seen any of the other Cartoon Saloon movies? I have not seen the films. No, I've, saw, I've seen a couple of the shorts. Because they also did... I think they did Puff and Rock, right? Do they do Puff and Rock? I don't... The Givers of... Oh, no. Yes. Uh... We owe them a great debt. <laughs> we do. <laughs> um, but they're, yeah. they're known for... Yeah, Puff and Rock. Sorry, I had to look it up. Had to know. And Skunk Fu. <laughs> um, there's one about someone who is born with his head on backwards. I can't remember the name of that one. Uh, which is a short film. Backwards Boy? Yeah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia list. <laughs> Um, but the, they're best known for their film, The Secret of the Kells, which last I knew was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is or if it's disappeared because Netflix has been a little um, persnickety lately as far as what I thought was on there isn't and so on. Well, I think that um, Cartoon Saloon probably gets the same, like, standard deal that Netflix has been doing recently. It's just other films are have been so few and far between so far. It's easy to feel like they don't have a film on Netflix at the time. It's like, here's your one-year deal or whatever. So Secret of Kells was on Netflix for at least a period of time. <laughs> at least a period at of time. At least a unit of measurement. Um, so I saw Secret of Kells that way. And then I'm pretty sure Song of the Sea was on Netflix, and I didn't watch it while it was, and I feel bad. Um, since Breadwinner is their third feature film, um, all three have been nominated for the Academy Award for Animation, <laughs> and none of them have won. Uh, but having seen Secret of Kells, it's coming back to a point here. <sighs> Secret of Kells, um, Cartoon Saloon doesn't shy away from violence. It's not mm. gratuitous, but when it is needed, they're not going to sugarcoat something like in a 
Disney 90s movie musical, you might, like, see a reaction as another character, like, reacts to what's happening. <gasps> and a flash of light that's dramatic. Ah, look what happened. And in cartoon saloon movies, like, they're going to show it to you. Because it's hard, and they want you to feel uncomfortable watching it. It's like a movie moral for kids. Don't do this, because look how it makes you feel. Well, I think part of it is they have, and we'll, uh, we'll put a video of this in, into our show notes, but they talked about how the world that they were creating, it's, it's told really, there are two stories running. There's the main story that happens in the real world, and then there's the story of this folktale, this myth that's being told throughout. And each of those stories has its own very distinct style. And they talked about how the real world is very naturalistic. And I'll, as we, once we get into it a little bit more, I'll talk about the process. But then the other side, the part with the myth, the folktale, the story is they called it story world and it's like paper cutouts and very um broad in terms of acting so if if you think about theatricality it's a little bit more theatrical a little bit broader um in in its performance not just because it's paper and puppets and looks has a different look to it, but it's also the acting is a little bigger mm -hmm. and less naturalistic. It's very much like Padvana, as if she's like around a campfire telling the story. Like she's gonna cheese it up a little bit, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and that works. Absolutely. Should we um, tell everybody what the main plot is of this story? Yeah, do you want to... I'll let you walk us through. I feel like I always retell the plot. <laughs> well, I thought, I thought that was our thing. I thought that's how we did it. Is we, we, hear, we hear Mackenzie try to figure out this story because I'm usually bad at it whenever I try. So, we start off... Um, you know, we're, we're in Afghanistan, and we, we have a father, uh, Narula, and his daughter, Parvana, who um, who go to the marketplace and try to sell things. And after one terrible altercation with the Taliban and some folks from the Taliban, the father gets arrested. And it's really um, Parvana and her family, her mother and sister and younger brother, trying to survive, having lost the patriarch of the family, where... Um, in the society as presented by the film um, is dependent on having a man in the family. And if you don't have that man in the family, you really can't survive. There's no place for you if you don't have a man in the family. Um, so knowing this, she um, makes the decision to cut her hair and try and create herself to be a boy so she can go out, earn money, shop for food, get things she needs, and 
provide for her family while still trying to find a way to free her father from prison. And that's that's the gist. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot uh, uh, to put on the shoulders of a young girl. Yeah, it it certainly is. And when when you're watching it, they have a lot that they have to teach you um, about the world. Uh, they have to teach you the rules of the film itself. You know, film each film has its own way of telling the story and rules in the way that the story is told um, stylistically. But then they also have to teach you the different culture, the rules of that culture. So that way you know what is holding the characters back. Because in a sense, the villain is... I mean, there, there are a couple of people who are stand-ins for the villain, but the villain is really society overall that's keeping Parvana and her family trapped. And society and, not being Afghani society, but Taliban society. Correct. To be very specific. <laughs> so you've got the Taliban. Go. It writes itself. <laughs> uh, it does, I suppose. Um, but the... I mean, it, all of this comes from Deborah Ellis, who she traveled to Pakistan in 1997 and was interviewing refugees um, at a Afghan refugee camp. And she actually spoke to somebody who had a daughter who would go out and pretend to be a boy so that way she could take care of her family. Um, so it's based on real interviews um, and the way that people had to live their lives uh, just to make things work, just to get their family food to keep going. And when they say breadwinner, uh, this is <laughs> really, it's really literal in, in that sense. It's somebody where, who has to provide. Um, and in some ways, the, the title of the film um is much like the godfather in the sense that you think the godfather um is about marlon brando being the godfather but no really the godfather is you know al pacino becoming the godfather it's his transformation into the godfather and in the same way it's not about losing the breadwinner, it's about Parvana becoming the breadwinner and the person who actually cares for her family. And, um, spoilers, um, saves her family. And being the person who, who is in control of the family's destiny and her own. Mm. Ish. I mean, yes, yes, but I think there's a lot of factors that go into that too. Oh, certainly. I just mean in in, a, in the broad sense of <laughs> what it's about. If you were just to say, here's here's one single thread, it's following that transformation for her. There's a great deal more to it, and it's not 
nearly that simplistic, which is why the film is so good because it's not afraid to be one dangerous and two complicated. Very complicated. And three emotional. <laughs> Very emotional. <laughs> yeah. So what, um, this is a very visually engaging film. So let's, what grabbed you? What do you remember from watching it the first time? Um, for me, I, I recognize the, the thing that got me a lot was the smallness of the moments. How, just how small everything was and how how long they would linger with different actions, you know, somebody walking up some stairs, somebody brushing their hair back, somebody, they would stay there with a very specific character, human thing. It was very naturalistic. Um, what I found out in terms of the process was that the director and um, she director, uh, Nora, to me, she actually performed the um, all the actions with other people, and made had a video of it. So much like they would in old school Disney, where they would do the live action and have actors do it, they performed it, and then they would take that and animate it. So they wouldn't rotoscope it, you know, they wouldn't draw over the frames, but they would take that reference and have the small natural movements. So things as simple as how does this character sit down? How does this character go up the stairs? How does this character enter the room? They actually performed everything and then made the storyboards from there and you know, or, or they storyboarded and then they performed it and then they uh, animated it from there in 2D animation. The, um, the main storyline in the real world was 2D animation. And then the story world where we hear the story that Parvana is telling her younger brother was all done in 3D animation to look like paper puppets. I was reading a lot about the design of the movie, and this definitely feels like there's been a lot of thought put into the design of both the real world and the story world, and what that means for these. And I know I was reading that they they didn't go, they couldn't go to Afghanistan, but they looked at like everything they could possibly get their hands on. They were surprised by the color of the region, mm. and I think you see that in some moments in the real world. There's some really interesting, striking color moments. I, when the family sits down, eats dinner, like I think of like the saffron. Yes. Mm -hmm. And raisins in the rice. Like it looks so good. I want it right now. Like I want that dish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they tried to keep a lot of the color to the storytelling and mute the colors in the real world to kind of reflect the heightened nature of story world. But then they, they used color in the real world to 
act as another way to focus um, view. So you're really tracking different things. So when Parvana's out and about her, um, she wears a red scarf, you know, a head scarf over her head, and then um, she loses it. And it's more striking because of the red color. You follow it and you notice its absence as much as, you know, it, it marks her. Funny you should say that about the red scarf. Because part of what I was reading is that they tried to only use the color red, especially in the story world, to represent her dead older brother. Hmm. Everything having to do with her brother, representing her missing brother who would have been the other possible breadwinner after their father is imprisoned, but has died previously, um, is red, including the dress they're trying to sell. And so I like that you're saying, the red scarf, you notice that. It leaves her, and you notice its absence because it's gone. <laughs> you mean like a dead brother? <laughs> and that's that's the other thing. Uh, the You do notice... One of the first scenes that they have is the scene where they're in the marketplace and they're having to sell things. And she has her, this glorious bejeweled shirt um, that's for sale. And she keeps touching it, you know, uh, just, it's like, oh my, this is my beautiful shirt. And he just says, just stop, we have to sell it. And she says, I didn't even get to wear it. Like that's that's how desperate it is. Like without saying, I wish we had money, Dad. You know, instead of having that conversation, all it's her is her mourning having to get rid of this thing and sell it, and she's never even worn it. It feels very much like the rise of the Taliban is recent in terms of the movie. Because I can't imagine based on the rules the Taliban has set, that any family would buy a red dress like that with those rules, which is why I think they have trouble selling it, because no one can wear that dress. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting is the, the fact that the they're not just selling items. They're also selling literacy. <laughs> <laughs> anything uh, read, anything written. So come over here. We'll read, we'll read it for you. We'll write something for you, um, which says a lot about that particular culture. But also that's another way that marks um, Parvana as dangerous or as... Um, or unorthodox as a woman who can read and write. Mm -hmm. Everything is, the, I love the writing in this movie because it's all, it works in the rules for everything you need so subtly and it's performed in action. It's never exposition. It's always an action that happens that tells you what the rule is. It cues you in. I think that one of my, my favorite examples of this is, um, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but essentially um, Parvana and her sister are in bed at night 
and they're talking about their desperate situation. What are we going to do? I don't know. And maybe if I go out early, before it's crowded. It won't work, Parwana. Market sellers won't risk getting in trouble for serving you. Mama Jan has cousins in Mazar Sharif. I could write to them for help. But we've never even met them. How do you know they will help? We need food now. You get the stakes, essentially. They're saying, like, we need food now. Here's all the possibilities. And then all those threads wind up being things that the family pursues in different ways throughout the movie. But the bottom line is, they need food now. Mm-hmm. And I, I also love the way that they tell the situation, not, not just, you know, in, through the writing, but through uh, the visual so the first time the family gathers for dinner, when the father's there, um, they have the beautiful plate of food, as you were describing, with the saffron and the raisins and the rice. And they're all eating, and the, they, they, they have a close-up of it, and the plate is full. The next time we see it, after the father's been taken away to prison, and we see the same plate... It's about a quarter full. So we know right away the family is in desperate straits. And all it takes is a plate of rice to tell you they're not well off anymore. This is a desperate situation. And the fact that then it gets, um, I don't mean this in a bad way, but then it gets hammered down when they tell the mother to eat. Mm -hmm. You need to eat something. So not only is there not enough food, but the mother hasn't been eating to make sure that her kids get enough. So it's just another way of telling what's happening with a very, very clear visual. So just here's this from before, and now it looks like this. Almost exact same shot. So... Not a Jack movie yet. Um, no, this is not a Jack movie. I don't think my five-year-old Jack um, would enjoy this. Um, Too young for it still? I, I believe so, yes. There's the, definitely he, scenes that he would not be okay with. Oh, yes. Um, the story world itself with the evil elephant king with thunder and lightning and some f red phantom smoke fire stuff coming after the main character in the story world uh, would be bad enough, let alone the guns and other violence. Because um, one thing that the movie does very, very well is suspense. Yes. And, and danger and making sure that you really, really feel the tension. So it's just, you, you get the, the moments of just, it's, it's nerve-wracking. You just sense that they're in constant danger. And because they've taught you the rules 
of you can't go out, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, you also feel it with the other characters' um, reactions to things. So there's a moment where Parvana, after the father's been taken, she goes out because the family's desperate and she goes to the market and she goes up to a man who has just been admonished in an earlier scene for serving a woman and threatened. And she goes and asks for five apples. And he says, you know, I can't help you go away. Like mm -hmm. you, you've sensed this, that both of them are in great danger. And you get that a lot from the salesman, just like, you need to get away. You need to leave, go get your father to do this. And we don't have a father. It's like, well, I can't help you. I can't, we're done. Mm -hmm. um, that scene. And then just other scenes later on, I feel like they get more and more intense. Um, thinking of when they come to take the mother to the other family, to the cousins, those whole scenes are just, yeah, I have just tension. I think it's like from the moment I think right before that, the uh, you see them watch as like American fighter jets fly overhead for the first time, and from then on, it's like the sounds of war in the background. And they've been saying this whole time, like there's a war coming, there's a war coming, there's a war coming. Mm -hmm. And the last bit of this movie feels a lot like Shakespeare. Um, I, I think I'm thinking specifically of like. Macbeth and like Henry V and things like that where you have a bunch of short scenes that flip back and forth that show a war and so you get just enough of any scene to like feel tense and it builds and it switches to a different one and that's basically the end of this movie because you have Padvana at the jail alone as they're executing prisoners too weak to fight in this war and the sounds of war and the light of war and then you have the mother fending off this cousin who isn't their savior that seems to have been what he was going to be. It's just, like you said, it, it builds, it's really intense. Uh, and you feel that. Mm -hmm. And it really feels like it's, it's like a Shakespearean war scene. It's act five of a Shakespeare play. <laughs> it's just all war all the time. But... Uh the hard part is you feel, not the hard part, I think the, the really strong part of it is um, they've done so well to focus in on character that even us as an audience are distracted by the main story of Parvana retrieving her father, that we forget there's this other thing that's coming. And they, even at the jail at the prison say, don't you know there's a war? Like, what are you even doing here? What, how did you get here? Why are you here? Don't you know there's a war? Like, this is bigger. But she's so distracted and, and um, that it's only about her father that she can't see everything else that's happening, everything mm -hmm. else that's going on. And in a lot of ways, like we don't even know exactly what's taking place. We see the jets, we hear the things, and we just know that it's a desperate, desperate situation, even more desperate than before, 
because now there's violence and the threat of actually dying. But also, honestly, like, why should she know? She's a child. Exactly. There's one scene where she and Shazia climb up, like, this destroyed, like, ruined tank. And, like, that's, like, the scene where, like, the two childhood friends climb to the top of the playground to, like, watch the stars together, except it's a ruined tank. In it's, a sea of ruined tanks. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's the world they've grown up with. They know this... I think they get to the tank by, like, saying, stay on the path because everything else is landmines. Don't, don't leave this path. You will die. Let's mm -hmm. go have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the terrain is filled with landmines. Um, literal and <laughs> um, metaphorical. And historical. Yeah. I think that the end, the culmination of Story World, where they reveal what happened to her older brother, is just. It's really heartbreaking. It's done really well. Mm hmm. It is. It, it is done very, very well. Because. It still makes you feel good. <laughs> there's, there's the moment where. This folk tale and myth gets intertwined with the personal story and personal truth. And then once you recognize once you recognize that, it just becomes stronger. Because for a while, it seems like it's um in a sense <laughs> we talked about the little prince a long time ago where it was like a snake that swallowed a different story. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, yeah, there's this outside story, and then there's the story on, inside the snake that, that ate it. And in some ways it felt like that at first. You weren't quite sure what was going on, you know, why this particular story. But it's not until that personal revelation in the in the story world that we see that she's working out grief. Mm -hmm. um, but she hasn't had time or permission to have feel that. It was just about look, things are so desperate that it's has to be about just the next day getting more food. That's it. And that day that she first goes out to, and you know, as, as a, as a boy and she goes to the shop and she asks for things. Um, and she's just giddy. She's just ecstatic that one um, she's able to do it and nobody questions it. And two, she's just ecstatic and relieved to get the food for her family. Uh -huh. And what's, what's amazing about that scene too, is the other men are mocking what seems to be a dumb boy. <laughs> And that she doesn't even care. She is just relieved. Just totally relieved that 
she now has the power to save her family's lives. Very, very, in a, in a very literal sense. I can save my family at home. Well, it's kind of like what <clears throat> Shazia, when she runs into Shazia in the street, Shazia says, like, when you're a boy, you can go anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. I think that leads into the scene in the shop. And she's realizing, like, she can go anywhere she wants. She can buy food. She can do whatever. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking about it again. It was just... It, the the film is full of powerful character moments. It, it just, it really is full of powerful, striking character moments. From the first time the father stands up to protect his daughter, and you start to sense that this is not going to end well for the father. <laughs> it doesn't um, begin well for the father. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> From the very moments, like, this is... Not good. The father is um, strong-willed and he is progressive. I mean, just by the fact that he has his daughter with him and has taught her history and has taught her to read and taught her to write and is forcing her um, to recount the history lessons that he's taught her and teaching her that these stories are important. You have to know the history. You have to understand where we've been to make any sense of the world. And there's that emphasis on storytelling for sure. It's not just about history. It's about, like, as you said, it's her processing her own grief and story world. It's a lot. <clears throat> for me, I made a note because um, story world in its design of like the paper cut, and how it's often like the side of a face and uh, how colorful it is and it's heightened morality. It feels a lot like uh, the Conference of the Birds, which is this classic piece of like Persian literature slash poetry from like 1100. <laughs> I had to read it for some class in college, so pardon me if I'm missing a lot of the details. It's a classic, it's beautiful, it's these birds doing this morality tale thing. Um, and that's what Story World feels like. It's like, here we have to get these three things to represent these three things that are like human traits. And we're going to learn something along the way. It's going to be good. And there's this mysterious thing at the end we have to confront, and it's not what it seems. Hmm. So I'm not sure if they were consciously drawing from... The Conference of the Birds for some reason, but. That's what brought to mind. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about who the audience is for the books. Who's the audience for this adaptation, this film? Is it middle grade kids? Is this, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 year olds? I know it's adult, but can a 10-year-old or 11-year-old watch this and, I, I don't want to say enjoy it, but... <laughs> get something out of it. Get something out of it. Yeah, I think that this is only... 
what we would call adult by American standards. Um, like I said, I think Cartoon Saloon is unapologetically not going to shy away from violent moments. It's going to show you something that's real, and I think that a lot of the story is meant to be understood by people or at least old enough to know the difference between that morality storytelling um, and young enough to still think that it's an important part of their life. <laughs> As a jaded adult, I'm saying that. Because <laughs> it's always important no matter how old you are, but you know, lots of adults forget that. Would you agree or... I think I would agree. Um, I think enough of it, enough of the violence is, is raw, but it's not excessive. It's not gory. Um, the big things happen off screen. I'm thinking of um, towards the end when... Uh, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Razak, the um, the soldier at the prison who finally helps helps Parvana. He when he gets shot, that mm -hmm. happens. You see everything leading up to it. You don't see the shot. You're not quite sure what happened, who got hit, what's going on, but you do see him bleeding in the aftermath. So I think of those moments where they take you all the way up to the moment. They don't shy away from the emotion of it and the danger of it. But it's not gratuitous. But it is um, disturbing, and they let it be disturbing and upsetting and i think in that it it only makes me wonder just how disturbing it feels not that it's gratuitous in its visuals but just it's it's intense emotionally mm -hmm. i think the beating of the mother is intense as well yes that um I, I had forgotten about that. I, th I thought they were going to kill her, honestly. <laughs> like in the I, scene, you're like, oh, she's going to die. Yeah, you, I thought... You don't see her getting beaten, but you see the cane being raised and blood on the cane. And you see her feet, and you just... Yeah. I totally had forgotten that scene, and now, I, now that you say it, it all just flooded back. Ooh. You repressed um, it because it's hard to watch. Yeah. But yeah. in a good way. <laughs> yeah. I I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but I am. It was done in a very necessary way. Not just necessary to the story, but necessary to get the point across. Mm -hmm. The world that they live in if you do something wrong that's it it you know just in a plain story way um it raises the stakes because if you step out of line 
you have very, very distinct repercussions. And so you know that if they were able to get, take the mother and beat her almost to the point of death, um, that if she gets in trouble, if Parvana gets in trouble, that there is very real danger to either being injured or killed. Mm -hmm. You don't know if she's safe. And, and they you, play with that later. Yes, and you assume that she probably isn't. That if somebody were to figure out that she was a girl or recognize who she was, because she, you know, a couple weeks ago, she was a, a girl walking around. If somebody looked at her face close enough, maybe they could figure it out. I mean, yeah, Shazia recognizes her right away. Mm -hmm. And we as an audience not having met Shazia, it's a moment of like, oh crap, because you think like, oh yeah, this is some other boy who recognized her. She goes, no, no, it's me, your friend Shazia. I'm also a boy now. <laughs> Which, that, that was a really great moment too, because you're just like, oh, everyone has to do this. <laughs> like, I wonder how many of these boys are actually girls. <laughs> it's... Well, there's actually lots of other books written on this other than Deborah Ellis's middle age, middle grade series. <laughs> I keep having The Underground Girls of Kabul recommended to me, and I haven't read it yet. Sorry, Mom. Um, but supposedly that's a great book, too. You heard it here. Mackenzie's mom recommends The Underground Girls of Kabul. <laughs> so what, what more could, do we have to say about it other than everyone should go watch it? Yes, everyone should watch it. Um... I feel like I'm still processing, and I feel like after a second time seeing it, I may have more thoughts, but it's well-written, and it's not just text-written. It is visually and verbally written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do feel like I'm still unpacking it. Like It, it feels, and I, I know it was a novel, but it feels like a novel in terms of I feel like there are things that if you watched it a second, a third time, that you would get more from it. Like, I think seeing it the first time, you catch the story and some metaphor that's low-hanging fruit that's there. But I think there's probably more embedded in there that you can tease out the more you experience it. So... I do look forward to seeing it again. Okay, we'll trade notes then. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite thing from your first watch? I think my favorite thing is just the, the, the scene in the market when Parvana goes out as a boy for the first time and just the look on her face when at the at the end of that scene, just the joy, the realization, everything as people are making fun of her and she's just smiling and grateful. I, that's just the best moment for me. It was mm -hmm. just so pure and joyous. It was, I think that was the best, my favorite thing. It's so colorful in that scene too. Like it really reflects the mood. Mm -hmm. What about for you? 
Uh, my favorite scene is like the exact opposite in feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I love at the end um, the mother's confrontation with their like seemingly evil cousin in the wilderness. He's like driving away and they get a flat tire and then she she tells the eldest daughters with her like run, take Zaki, find Padvana. And the daughter's like, I assume the daughter assumes that her mother's going to get herself killed for her children. Mm -hmm. And the mother does the threatening thing and goes up to the kid like, you have to kill me and grabs the knife and lets her hand like bleed down as she's gripping this knife in a death grip. Uh. And the cousin's like, you're crazy. None of us cousins are going to marry any of you. Bye. It's very wonderfully done of like what the mother would do for her family. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was hard to watch. Like it, it was, it was so visceral. Like so many things in the real world of this film are. You feel it. You, you feel it. That moment she grabs it. You just feel every. She grabs that knife and she gives that look. Mm-hmm. And then you see the look in the eyes of the cousin, just like horrified. I mean, for him, he has crazy eyes most of the time. The, <laughs> the crazy eyes of just somebody who's just always shouting at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he just, it changes to this realization of, no, you are serious and I have to leave. I'm in danger. It's just so much fear. It's a nice empowerment moment. Like, yeah, get it, mother. It's an animated movie, and you're not dying at the end. (laughs) Ah, so good. Shall we talk about homework time? Let's. For next time, we will be discussing... Isle of Dogs, which is a film by Wes Anderson, I'm told. That's my harpsichord Wes Anderson impression. I love Wes Anderson. I'm going to say that. I know I'm going to make fun of the style a lot because it's really easy to make fun of. But I also love Wes Anderson. And I have seen Wes Anderson movies. (laughs) It'll be an interesting, riveting discussion next time on Writers Get Animated. (laughs) As always, we want to say thank you to our engineer, Nigel Coutinho, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can uh, find us on the web or mobile or app world or whatever the kids call it now um, on Facebook facebook.com slash WG Animated on Twitter at WG Animated and you can find all of our show notes and more on our Tumblr RaidersGetAnimated.tumblr.com I was about to say should we look online to see if we can find the recipe for that rice dish but that didn't feel right and so I stopped myself and then I said it anyway That's not a bad idea I'm probably going to do that Good dinner, everybody. Good night, everybody.